0: Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. Some of you guys know I've been leaning into habits. I've been leaning into sort of developing habits because one of the things that I've learned is that if you develop habits, they actually make a long-term impact in your life, right? Have you guys ever found this, that habits make a long-term impact? If you can develop a good habit to help you become the kind of person that you desire to be, you you can make an exponential impact in your life. Well, if you know me, one of the things that you know is the way that I learn something new is by buying books. Have you been in my office? Jeff was like, this, this makes you, you, you look like you're sort of educated because there's a wall of books. So I, I bought books on how to develop habits. And I came across this book uh, by a man named Charles Duhigg called The Power of Habit. And Charles Duhigg in his, his book talks about what he calls keystone habits. Keystone habits are these habits where making one habitual step actually makes a lot of impact because it actually creates impact across multiple spheres of your life. So this keystone habit. Let me give you an example of a keystone habit that I have been trying to implement in my life. If you get up in the morning and you exercise first thing in the morning, it's a keystone habit. Here's why. It's good for your health, right? Exercise, good for your health. But it also does other things. If you exercise first thing in the morning, When you leave the gym, it's kind of hard to run through the Dunkin' Donuts parking lot, right? Because you feel like, I mean, I'll spoil the thing I just did, right? So you actually will eat better over the course of a day. Uh, If you've ever done it, you feel better. I mean, I can't tell you how amazing I feel every morning at 7.30 when I get off the treadmill. It feels great, right? So you feel good the rest of the day. Uh, It it makes you uh, be more confident, which has impact to your relationships. It has impact to your career right? If you show up to work more confident, you're a different person. So it's, it's kind of a keystone habit. So exercise in the morning is a keystone habit. What if there was a similar thing for your faith in Jesus? What if there were keystone beliefs? What if there were things that you could believe that if you could understand them better would make a huge impact in your faith? I believe there are things, I'm going to call them keystone understandings. Uh, There are these sorts of things that if you understand them, it makes a wide impact in your faith. One of the things that has done that for me is understanding this word, the kingdom of God, this phrase. When I began to understand the kingdom of God, it was a keystone understanding. It made a wide impact on how much I understood following Jesus, and I would say for you, That probably would be true. So we're going to begin a series today that I'm calling Breakthrough. It's on the kingdom of God. The the title I've borrowed uh, from a a vineyard pastor in South Africa. He wrote a book by the same name called Breakthrough. Um, In case you're wondering, it's Derek Morphew. If you want to buy the book, you can buy it. It's called Breakthrough. Um, But one of the things I've said, if you've been part of our midpoint, one of the things I've said over the life of our church is there are these things, these words that we use in the Christian church that often ought to be defined every now and again. Have you heard that? Like this, this past week or two weeks ago uh, at Midpoint, I said discipleship is one of those words. You know, we just all use the word and we say, well, well we're just making disciples and we're just growing as disciples and we're, we're doing discipleship. And if you dig down across the scope of the church, do you find that... I mean something different than other people mean when I say making disciples, right? There's another one, gospel. Have you ever thought about this word gospel? We just throw it around, right? Preach the gospel, share the gospel. It's all about the gospel, 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 right? But nobody ever stops to define it. And what we find, the fruit as you work it out, is actually widely different. And you start going, well, wait a minute, what's the problem? Well, the problem is is we never define the word, and so we just use it. The kingdom of God is one of these things. I would bet if we pull the room, we're not going to do this, keep your hands down, don't show your, you know, don't, don't embarrass yourself, but I would bet we have a wide array of belief when we say kingdom of God. When I say the kingdom of God, some of you maybe think I mean heaven. Like the kingdom of God is the same as heaven. Uh, maybe if I say the kingdom of God, some of you think, well, it's the nation of Israel and the, the land that it sits on. That's heaven. Or uh, that's the kingdom of God. Or maybe, maybe for some of us, we believe it's the church, that the kingdom of God and the church are the same thing. Or, or for some of us, it's the kingdom of God is just believers. And I imagine if I, if I say that, a bunch of you probably have gone, yeah, that's what I think. We have this wide array, and while there are some touch points there... While there are some places where these things come together, when Jesus uses the word kingdom of God, when he uses the phrase kingdom of God, he doesn't mean any of these things. He doesn't mean any of these things. The reason we don't understand what he's talking about is because we haven't understood what the word kingdom means. The Greek word underneath kingdom is basileia. It's a fun, people have started to use this for names of churches, basileia, if you've ever heard the word. This is the Greek word that gets translated as kingdom, and we think of kingdom as this like physical boundaries, right? You you can go, you can draw it on a map. You say, this is the kingdom. It's like Pennsylvania. It's the kingdom of Pennsylvania, and I know that it fits on the map, and this is the, the place that it occupies, but when the Bible uses it, it's not using those terms at all. In fact, when the Bible uses the word kingdom, it's referring to the right of a king to rule, it's the right of, an, of a king to exercise authority. So, for example, if you are the next in line for the kingdom, and when it's your turn and you come up, they confer on you the kingdom. You have the authority to rule, and your kingdom only extends as far as your rule extends. And so, boundaries, if you think about like old, old maps, if you flip to the back of your Bible, you have these maps, and a lot of times, the maps don't have Defined geography, right? They, there's not like a hard black line. They just sort of fade. Have you seen those? Some of you are like, I don't know that there's maps in my Bible. It's in the back, usually. These nice colorful maps. You should use them. But they have like they, they they sort of fade. There's not defined boundaries. And the reason is because the boundary or the limit of a kingdom is as far as the king's rule extends. So it's not really a defined geography. So when the Bible refers to the kingdom of God, what it's saying is the right of God to rule and reign in any given situation. The right and ru- uh, of God to ru- uh, rule and authority in any situation. And the spread of the kingdom of God is dependent upon how far God's right to rule and reign exists. So whenever we see God's will done, it can be said that the kingdom of God has come. And so you see this over and over. Jesus talks about that. Today we're going to talk, uh, we're going to build a foundation uh, for this series. It's going to be a six-week series. We're going to build a foundation this week. Uh, And what I want to talk about is choosing the kingdom of God in every situation. Choosing the kingdom of God in every situation. I'm calling this message, Whose Side Are You On? So would you pray with me, and then we'll look at Scripture? Scripture. So Lord, I do just welcome you into this place and Lord, we know that you've been active and God, I pray that you would continue to do what you do, Lord, that you would continue to to stir our hearts, God, that you would continue to incline us toward you. Lord, I pray that as we read your word, God, that you would put power on it, God, that you would speak to us, that we would experience your presence. God, I pray that your kingdom would come that we would discover what that means. Lord, would you enable me to speak as I should? Would you fill me with your spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles on the steps here. Matthew chapter 12. There's no movement. No pages are turning. Everybody's digital now. They do have them in analog. You can get them in analog now, uh, analog Bibles. Um, Matthew chapter 12, and I want to give you a little bit of background about what's happening in Matthew chapter 12 as you're turning there. Jesus has been hanging out in the synagogue. He's been hanging out with these Pharisees and a group of people, and if you know anything about Jesus' time with with, uh, the Pharisees, these two don't see eye to eye, and so he tends to make them mad. Well, At the end of his time in the synagogue with these Pharisees, they start to plot to kill him. And like, you know, any good person would do, Jesus runs off. And a whole bunch of people follow him. And so as these people follow him out of the synagogue and kind of out of town, uh, he begins to heal those who are sick among, uh, among them. And then we get down to verse 22, and it's this group of people who has followed him out of the synagogue. And I'm going to read this. And it says this. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It's only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself Will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, whom do your people drive them out by? So then they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. You know, we could preach this passage in a lot of messages, couldn't we? Like, there's, there's some really intriguing stuff in here, right? Like we could preach a message about what sins can be forgiven and what can't, and maybe that would be interesting to you. I think there's a really fascinating case study in 22 and 23 about deliverance, right? I think there's a real fascinating case study because this guy's demonized, and yet it shows up as a physical manifestation that he can't see and he can't speak, and somehow Jesus just knows he's demonized, So there's all kinds of things we could preach here. We could preach the hardness of people's hearts toward Jesus, right? We could just talk about how hard people are toward Jesus. But what I want to do today is that I want to take this passage and try to gain a base level understanding of what's going on when we talk about the kingdom of God. And my hope is that you will leave committed to choose the kingdom of God in every situation. So the first thing I want, or that we need to understand is that we exist in the midst of a clash between two kingdoms. Anybody feel like there's a battle going on in the world? Nobody? Okay, like four of you. Cool. Um, <laughs> the rest of you. There's, there's kind of a war going on. All you have to do is turn your TV on, right, and, and everybody's angry with everybody else. Um, the world offers us a lot of ways to understand the meaning of life, doesn't it? There's a lot of ways that we can understand our role in life, we can understand our function in life. You know, some of us, maybe we, we said yes to Jesus, and now we're just waiting to die to go to heaven. And that's one way to understand the purpose of life, right? Or maybe for some of us, we, we understand that this is all there is, and so I got to make the most out of my life today because when I die, it's all done. And that's one way. To understand. But what Jesus teaches is that we exist in the midst of a battle. We exist in the midst of a battle. Look at verse 25 again with me. It says, "...Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand." If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus says there are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of Satan, and there's the kingdom of God. And these two things are at war. That there's a cosmic battle happening between these two, And more importantly, the location of this battle is the planet we inhabit. Do you see that? Do you see that the the place that we live in is the place where this cosmic battle is being fought? What's at stake in this battle? What's at stake in this battle is people. That people are the prize to be won in this battle. This is important to understand. Here's why. Because the enemy... It's not people. The enemy is not people. If we don't catch this, we're going to miss something really, really important. The enemy is the kingdom of Satan. The, The enemy is not people. The battle is over people, but it's not against people. If you don't understand that, here's what will happen. We'll begin to make enemies of the people who oppose us, don't we? Do we see this? If you're a Republican, how do you feel about Democrats? Don't say it out loud. I don't want to create a church split. Don't we think that it's not just that they have a different idea about how government should work, we tend to demonize them and make them evil and wrong and bad. If you're a Democrat, how do you feel about Republicans? Again, don't say it. But don't we tend to believe they don't just have a different way to govern, but they're bad, they're wrong, they're evil? We tend to make everyone that that is on the opposite side of us the enemy. I mean, just think about all the hot-button issues. You ready for this? I'm going to talk about hot-button issues. Jerry's not in here. She told me not to. Don't tell her. We'll just keep this. This will just be between us, okay? I'm not going to take a stand on either one of them. Just think about the issues that are going on right now, right? There's the Texas thing about abortion, right? And whether you are pro-life or pro-choice, whatever your perspective is, don't you tend to make the other person evil? Don't they have evil intent? Isn't that how we tend to think about it? I mean, just think about uh, vaccines and masks. Don't we tend to think, well, man, if if you got a vaccine, you're this kind of person. If you choose to not, you're this kind of a person. And we make the opposite side evil. It's not just that they have a different perspective. They're evil and bad and wrong. Or or think about all of the things, racism, homosexuality, let's talk about illegal immigration, any one of those things, what tends to happen is those people don't just have a different perspective, they're evil, and we make them the enemy. If you don't understand the fact that we're in a cosmic battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, what we end up doing is we make those who oppose our position the enemy. But people are not the enemy. We have an enemy. It's not people. But if we grasp the nature of this cosmic battle, that it's not the people who are our enemy, we understand then that we can have compassion for people who are under the influence of the enemy. And maybe we could be actually sometimes people who are under the influence of the enemy ourselves. Have you ever been lied to by Satan and have you ever believed it? If you say no, we'll have prayer for you. There's plenty of prayer to go around. But we understand that there is an enemy. It's not people. Paul actually says this in Ephesians 6, verse 12. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. If we don't understand this, we end up fighting the wrong battle. And we don't look any different than anybody else around us, do we? We're just mad at some other person. But as kingdom people, what we understand is that we're in the midst of a battle. We, if we don't understand this, we end up fighting against people instead of for people. And Jesus is here for people. There's a difference. So the first thing we understand is that we're in the midst of a battle between two kingdoms. The second thing we need to understand is the battle takes place in enemy territory. The battle takes place in enemy territory. The home team in this battle is not the kingdom of God. The home team is the kingdom of Satan. Look at verses 28 and 29. But if it's by the spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Jesus says that in the driving out of demons, the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of God is outside and has broken in. And in case we miss this, in verse 29, he just makes it very explicit. He's basically talking about breaking into a guy's house. Verse 29, he says that the strong man is Satan. And Jesus says, in order to break in and take the things of value in the strong man's house, you have to tie up the strong man. What he's saying is, you have to tie up the demon, you have to tie up Satan, so that you can take the things of value, which is people. This is a breaking in, that we're not living in home territory. We're playing an away game here. That the the home team is the kingdom of Satan. And here's the point. The battle is fought in enemy territory. And there's at least a couple of reasons that it's important to understand that. Because the first reason is that we wouldn't be surprised when we find out things are wrong. How many of you are shocked when when things go wrong? You're like, I can't believe the politicians lied to us. (laughs) just I thought better of them. Why? Why would you think better of politicians? This is not the kingdom of God here. Or, or, or you know, we're, we're, we're surprised when people have moral failures. We're surprised when people have wrong beliefs. We're surprised when people are sick. We're surprised when people die. Why? This is an away game. We're playing an away game. Jesus was not shocked when he saw people sick or demonized. He wasn't caught off guard when relationships broke. He understood that that's what happens when Satan has his way death, destruction, and demonization. That's what happens. He wasn't surprised at all, but he didn't leave it that way. See, the kingdom comes and breaks in and overturns the kingdom of Satan. That's what happens. The kingdom of God breaks in and it undoes the works of the enemy, which leads to the second reason we need to understand why we're playing in enemy territory. Just because something comes naturally to you does not mean it's a thing to be embraced or celebrated. Just because something comes naturally and it's just sort of how I am doesn't mean that it's the way God intends things to be. The resident power of this planet the home team, the kingdom of Satan, is a liar. He's the father of lies, and he will lie to you all the time. Satan lies about all kinds of stuff, right? Like, Satan lies about judgment. Like, we just judge people. We just have to judge people because it's fair. You need to do that. Or Satan lies to you about, yes, you should be angry, and you should hold a grudge, and you should allow bitterness to to grow in your life. Satan lies to you, doesn't he? So why would we just decide that everything is, everything that comes naturally and everything that is the way it is in our life is something that we should embrace? We wouldn't believe that. Jesus came to overturn and undo the works of the enemy, which means we don't just decide that the way we are is just the way we are. Jesus came to make us new people, make us a new creation. We allow Jesus to decide what's normal and what's not. That's what it is to be kingdom people. So we reside within a battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, and it's, a, it's an away game. And finally, the last thing I want to talk about is the kingdom of God demands a choice. It demands a choice. Jesus comes to undo the works of the enemy. He's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. You know, uh, he's undoing all these works. He's redeeming people from the grasp of Satan, and then he drops this little bomb in here. This is, should scare you, and if it doesn't, uh, we'll pray for you as well. Verse 30 says this, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Whoever's not with me is against me. The way it's phrased in the original Greek doesn't really come through here. The way it's, it's not just like Jesus says, well, I want you to be with me, like I need more cheerleaders. Yay, Jesus, you just keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a great job. You know, We're really proud of you. You know, we just make it a mental agreement. What it actually means in the, in the original Greek is to be, it's more emphatic than that. If you're with me, you're shoulder to shoulder in the battle with me. And he says, if you're not with me, you're against me. Do you catch what's happening here? That it's not enough just to say, yeah, Jesus, I believe in what you're saying. That you actually do the things that Jesus is doing. It's a lot stronger than just being happy about the things Jesus is doing. It means joining him in healing the sick. It means there's never a space that I'm not looking for what the kingdom is doing. It's never a space that I'm unwilling to pray for healing or or to share the, the gospel with people. There's never a space where I'm unwilling to press in. And then he says this, if you don't help me rescue people... You're actually helping the enemy scatter people. Does that scare you a little bit? Like, Am I actually with Jesus? Or do I just mentally agree with the things that he does? I mean, think about your life for a minute. Are you actually engaged in the battle? Or are you just satisfied to agree with the fact that Jesus is in the battle? One of those things makes a difference. And the point here is that there's no neutral ground. You can't just sort of like, I'm going to be Switzerland and not take a side and be Canada and be nice. Love you, Chris. <laughs> there's no neutral ground. You're either with me or you're against me. That's like, that's pretty big, isn't it? There's not a place that you go where you can just sort of take a neutral stance. You have a choice to make. And no choice to make no choice is to make a choice for the enemy. It's the way Jesus puts it. That's not mine. That's not my words. That's the way Jesus puts it. And perhaps the worst thing is to be someone who just mentally agrees with what Jesus says without ever actually stepping into the battle. You know, we we just attend church, and we, you know, we give, and we, you know, show up, and we try to morally behave and act right. And at the end, Jesus would say, you weren't really with me. We were overturning the works of the enemy. Where were you? To be a kingdom person is to be actively engaged in the battle. And if you don't actually engage in advancing the kingdom of God, you're a blockade in the way. It's kind of the way Jesus puts it. That's me rephrasing it. You can check it against the original Greek, okay? Just check that one. We're called by people to be people who, we're called by God to be people who release the kingdom of God. Who are actively engaged in the mission. That's why that's our mission statement. Our mission is to, to, be, uh, to equip people to release the kingdom of God. That's our mission. Our church exists for that purpose. And my question to you today is, will you step into the battle? One of the things I love, it's a great privilege to baptize both of my children. One of the things I love about baptism is this is saying into the world that I'm getting in the battle. And if you know my daughter... Many of you have probably been prayed for by my daughter. She's engaged in the battle, and she will fight for the kingdom. My question for you is, will you? Because Scripture is clear, and I'll wrap it up with this. Scripture is clear that the end of the battle is won by Jesus. Revelation 11.15 says this. You guys may know it from a song. The kingdom of the world... Has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. The way the story ends is that the kingdom of God invades and continues to invade and continues to invade until it displaces the kingdom of Satan. It's the way this ends. If you read all the way to the end, right, the new, he- the new heavens come down, the new Jerusalem comes down, that God again dwells among his people. The kingdom of Satan is displaced. That's how this ends. Will you engage? Will you press in? We're going to talk for the next few weeks about what it looks like to engage in this battle. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ with this be blessed and we'll see you next time